Welcome to the Health Science Podcast. I'm Adam Kriz, a teacher at Forest Grove High School where I teach the health sciences. Um, today on the podcast, Anna and I start off talking about her kinesiology degree and we get kind of philosophical about, you know, what does a bachelor's degree mean and how useful is it? And it was a, it was a fun conversation. Um, next, we transition to a conversation I recorded with uh, a, a professor at Portland Community College, Eric Wiest. Um, he zoomed into my exercise physiology class to talk to my exercise physiology class about functional movement screenings and corrective exercises. Unfortunately, I cut off about half the conversation that Eric had with my class just because the second half of the conversation was a lot of live demonstrations on Zoom and wasn't very conducive to the podcast format. So I hope you enjoy the podcast and I'll talk to you next time. So uh, welcome to the Health Science Podcast. <laughs> We're getting started. Yeah, I'm Adam Kriz, teacher Hi. at Forest Grove High School. Yeah. Hi, I'm Anna Nguyen. Um, long time no talk, I guess. Hello. <laughs> That's, I think that's a great topic. So what can you do with a kinesiology degree? And you're saying that people regret getting a yes. kinesiology degree. So this, it, it sounds like we just kind of like bombarded ourselves into the middle of the conversation. But for background, for context. So just a few days ago, I was chatting with my cultural anthropology professor. Shout out to Greer, my home, my homie. Um, he and I were just discussing about like um, a lot of random things and we mentioned about like kinesiology majors, right? And so he has some um, students that regret having a kinesiology degree. I have mixed feelings about my kinesiology degree and I'm sure there's some other people who absolutely love the fact that they majored in kinesiology. So we're just gonna, gonna chat about that. So if you're interested in pursuing a kinesiology degree in college, um, there are benefits in the non-benefits to it so we're just going to chat about it so well, how about why don't you start by telling us what does kinesiology mean so at least at pacific university right so if you study what used to be called exercise science which is my degree which is now named kinesiology um, it's the study of um human movement i think that's what they listed on the on the website it's the study of human movement um and when you study under that major you learn you take a lot of different courses right pertaining to human movement you take like classic like exercise physiology biomechanics um perceptual motor learning which is like how you um acquire and like learn skills you do psychosocial factors of exercise science right so the psychology and sociology of exercise um you take nutrition and then there's like advanced nutrition coaching classes um, boxer boot camp where um, you get to apply all of the foundational knowledge you've learned to an actual client where you work with them to build an exercise program or to monitor their nutrition. Um, and I sound like I am advertising for Pacific right now, so I'm going to stop there. 
um, but yeah, that's what kinesiology is. That's what the degree is. Um, and that were that was some of the classes I took um, when I earned my degree. Yeah, I think because because kino means movement. I'm I'm pretty sure like kinetics. It's the same. Yeah. Word. Yeah. And then ology means study of. I don't know. That's true. No, that is correct. Oh, <laughs> uh, so that's cool. So you take coaching classes. Um, there was a coaching class. Um, yes, it was like learning how to coach, I think. So yeah. like um, philosophies and like theory and like learning like what, I guess it was coaching for, I know I took a class on uh, endurance coaching. So that is coach for endurance sports. And then, yeah, and then my other coaching class was an intro to coaching class. So. Oh, cool. That's, that's yeah. interesting. So, so why... What's the cent? That sounds like the best class schedule ever to me. And so, why why would people be regretting? And you have mixed feelings about your kinesiology degree. Well, let me ask you a question first, Adam. Why do you, why does it sound like a um, like why do you why why does that attract you? Um, from my experience studying, so I studied exercise and movement sciences down at University of Oregon, which I think is called human physiology now. Um, every class I took in that major, like any, any class that illuminated what I was doing during athletics was just fascinating to me. I, I loved it. I, 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 and it's still, when I read books, um, about the human body, I'm just, it, it's the most interesting and captivating thing for me to, to read about or listen or learn about how my body works. Um, it just, I'm fascinated with, with the subject and I, I don't know where that necessarily came from. Like I, I it, it, it's, it's in deep somewhere because I can't, I can't put my finger on why I enjoy learning about that sort of stuff. Um, mm -hmm. I'm just, I'm just attracted to all of it. And um, there, it, it, it is, a, those sort of topics get as close to just the, the joy of learning or, mm -hmm. or yeah, that, 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 that I can get. Those are just fun, enjoyable classes. That's awesome. I mean, if I heard if I heard you correctly, like you said that it some of these classes illuminated what you did in athletics. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. And so that's funny or not funny. I, I always say that, but it's interesting because I remember in my foundation uh, of exercise science course, there were a lot of um, athletes in that course. Like I obviously could tell there were football players in there, basketball players. I was a volleyball player, so I was in there, right? And a lot of people had, I guess, a, an idea that they would enjoy this major because they enjoyed athletics. And then I noticed as I progressed in that major, a lot of them actually dropped out. Um, so I think it's, it's something that I found interesting that there are some of us in exercise science who absolutely love sports and being a part of athletics and everything about it that we majored in exercise science. And there are some of us who believe that because we liked athletics would be we would excel in uh, exercise science and it turns out it was not the right fit for us so I just found that interesting um, I majored in kinesiology because I 
absolutely loved anatomy and physiology in high school. I was super into it. I wanted to like major in it. And so I found something as close to it as possible. And that was exercise science. Um, and so I kind of based my college options on if they had that program or not and how well that program was. Um, so yeah, so Pacific was one of the um, colleges that had a really good exercise science program. So I went there and yeah, I um, learned that anatomy was only one part of it. And then I got to experience a lot of other classes. Um, so to kind of like answer your question of like why I had mixed feelings about it, um, it's because I really enjoyed the major from learning about the human body. Um, and, you know, biomechanics was pretty cool too. Um, but I just really love the gross anatomy aspect of it. And then the downside of it was that I realized I was really into social sciences more than actual, like, I guess, natural sciences. So I was, I really enjoyed my psychology and sociology classes um, in exercise science. I enjoyed learning about, um, I guess, like coaching and things like that. And so when it came to like of the more natural sciences that involve like biology, chemistry, you know, all these other things, I wasn't super into it. And so a part of me, in a way, regrets kind of realizing it too late that I majored in something that I wasn't super passionate about because um, right now I'm taking like cultural anthropology and psychology and I realize I'm like yeah I'm super into this and you know realizing that I didn't need to major in kinesiology in order to go to like graduate school you know um, so that was like another thing but overall it's just I really wish that I took the time to take other courses or even just like divert my whole degree into something else um you just applied to graduate school though i did right? i did and what if for for occupational therapy yes why so why wouldn't you apply for graduate school in psychology or sociology or something like that that's a great question and it's because i enjoy um what occupational therapists do and so I don't have a, I don't, I, I enjoy learning about psychology and like behavioral sciences and like social sciences, but not, it's not a goal of mine to pursue like a PhD in it. It's like, I enjoy learning these topics, right? But then I think my ultimate goal is more to do um, client work or like to work with clients and to do rehab work. So I hope that answers your question. Yeah, no, I, cause I, I feel the same way about, oh man, hold on. Yeah, that, so my experience is that I really enjoy learning about psychology. Um, I, I enjoy learning about biology, um, physics, um, uh, you know, all those sort of things, but they're always in relationship to the human body for me. Like psychology is fascinating because holy mackerel, my neurons do that. Biology is interesting because you know it's like oh wow the Krebs cycle <laughs> yeah that uh, that part of yeah it. it's always like, gross right yeah there's yeah you get me down to the Planck length and and like down to like quantum mechanics I find it fascinating if you get me just a a, a stage bigger than that where we're talking about like atoms and and uh, you know that sort of stuff like in chemistry I'm bored to tears mm -hmm. I, I the Krebs cycle bores me to tears I can't. 
<laughs> it makes me laugh because no matter how many times I learned the Krebs cycle in during my like four years at Pacific, I've never, I like, don't recall it at all. Like, no, all, yeah, all like, yeah, we, yeah, it's either anaerobic or aerobic, right? Like, that's kind of, yeah. yeah. Yep. I, I, I don't know. I, it's, it's just not something I, I get too, too fired up about. Yeah. Um, but I think there's a disconnect between what we enjoy learning about and what we want to do for a living. And I, I wonder if that's where some of the regret comes from that, that these supposed people are feeling about their kinesiology degree. Um, um, well, at least from what I heard, um, two of, I mean, one of them doesn't necessarily regret take a graduate degree kinesiology degree. Like they just end up doing an entirely different um, like career they like their whole career path just went very like off the chains um and the other one is just like kind of realizing yeah it's like one of those things where it's that idea that you have to in order to get like for example if you want to go to med school right there's a lot of people thinking they have to major in biology chemistry or biochemistry or some variation of that right in order to get to grad school and i think that's where that regret comes in because some people because actually you don't necessarily need a degree in any of those topics you just need a four-year degree in something the only requirements you need are the prerequisites so in theory you could there are med students out there who graduated the music degree that are now in med school or sure. majored in history and now in optometry school or like any any other major outside of natural sciences so I know that's where some regret comes from. I mean, for me, I don't necessarily regret taking or taking kinesiology in order to go to grad school. It just kind of worked out well anyway, because I mean, majority of the prereqs were part of my four-year degree. So there's that. But um, I guess the other thing that make um, I kind of like, I guess, feel iffy about kinesiology is like it's one of those degrees where you kind of graduate with it and then there's not really much you can do with it like you can become a personal trainer right but no arguably, you can't oh, you would you, have to get you would have to get still go through your personal training certification exactly see and it's like it's, that's the thing you you have background in it to make but you still have to go through a certification so and arguably you don't even need your four-year degree in order to become a personal trainer no. or yeah. Um, you know, if you want to be a nutritionist, obviously you got to go to, go to grad school for that. Or if you want to be like, just even like anything, right. You, it's, it's just the, the, that degree that gives you a foundation for something, but you still have to go through X amount of school to then become something else. I, I think yes, but okay. So what what's what's a bachelor's degree that doesn't have that issue biology biology you can work as a biologist with a biology degree well you can go work at a lab at the very least right because in kinesiology you can't really go to a clinic and i mean you could be a rehab aide that's what i was okay but even then like that's that's where you kind of stop, you know. I don't know. But yeah, same thing. But wouldn't it be true in biology? Like you'd you'd be a lab tech, and then 
you know, you can work your way up into a, into a, you know, w within that lab, whether it's a private or public lab. I mean, you can also be a researcher. You can, yes. you can work. Yeah. And then you work your way up in research. Yeah. But of course you true. can't like, of course you can't be like a prime, the primary researcher. Right. But, but, th but that'd be true of kinesiology too, right? Because like in kinesiology, they, they do their senior projects where they, they do research projects. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm just saying like, like I, think, I think that's a bachelor's degree from a liberal arts school has this built-in flaw to it. You know, my, my brother graduated the history, history degree. There's not a whole lot of history factories opening up. You know, it's like getting a job with a history degree, you're, you're not working in history. Um, actually, my sister got a history degree too. And my, my other sister got a arts, it wasn't even a fine arts degree. It was a, I don't know what they called it, a, you know, pretend art, I don't know. I, and, you know, so, so we all got these degrees that have no jobs attached to them. The only job that, the only degree at U of O that I can think of that had a job attached to it was like architecture. That was an undergraduate degree that you would be working in your field. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. Um, business, business maybe, like that. That might count. Yeah, journalism. You can go into journalism. Right. Journalism. There we go. There we go. Journalism would be another one. But I, I just think there's very few. There's very few degrees that you can just step into and work in that in that field with with the bachelor's degree. I think there's. There's certain there. There's many many positions where having a kinesiology degree or a philosophy degree or a fine arts degree um, is a good background to to start working at whatever company you're working at. But I think there's many bachelor's degree from liberal arts schools that don't necessarily translate into a job, and which stings. I think that's different than what we are. I feel like it's different than what high schools present to high school students. We kind of present that college gets you a good job. And we don't really explain any more after that. To all you high school students out there, we're, we're not trying to, we're not trying to ruin your uh, optimistic goal of going to college. Well, <laughs> there, I, I yeah, I think that's that. I, I remember feeling the same thing after I um, finished up my bachelor's. Is I was like, well, now what? Like, I can't do anything with an exercise science degree, and that wasn't quite true. I I, I could have applied to any company and kind of worked my way into something. Um, but I remember feeling like it, it wasn't worth the money because I wasn't going to get money for my degree. And only now after things have worked out pretty well and my degree has paid for itself several, several times over, am I kind of like, no, I really appreciated the classes that I took. And if anything, I wish I would have tried way harder at my classes and taken them way more seriously to get more out of them and take advantage of those professional contacts that I should have made in college. And that really would have led to some opportunities. I don't know. But, but I'm so, I'm, 
I'm so happy. I just got to sit in an environment where I got to like wake up every morning, get breakfast, go to the track, work out with Olympians, and then go hang out with PhDs and talk about what I just did. I thought that was such a cool life to live. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. College probably can be really cool. Yeah. Was it worth the money? I don't know. For, for me, I, I, it, it was. I went to school long enough ago that, you know, all the student loans that I had after undergraduate was like a used Honda. You know, that's, that's about the size of my student loans. And so totally worth it for me. Um, but, you know, I, I think that's, that's what everyone has to make that choice now. And so again, back to the podcast thing, if someone doesn't want to pay $40,000 a year to go to a school so they can work out and then listen to PhDs um, talk about what that workout was all about. I'm, I'm hoping they could listen to this podcast. That's my ultimate goal is that this podcast illuminates that conversation for, for everybody, makes it accessible to everybody. So you can go and work on what, whatever your ambition is and listen to really smart people talk about health sciences, exercise, what, 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 whatever it is that we're going to cover on this podcast. Awesome. That's noble, right? Yeah. I mean, it's a good, it's a good thing to, to project out there. Um, but I mean, yeah, like going back to the, the main topic of just like, you know, how, um, people feel about kinesiology degrees. Like, I guess the, at the end goal, right. It's like, whatever you decide to do, if, whether you want to go to college or not, I mean, ultimately just study what you want to study. I think that was something I kind of wish I did more of. I mean, I, I, I did want to study kinesiology, but then I definitely learned that I, I had other interests as well. And I wish that I um, nurtured those interests so that I could, you know, have, I feel like I had a like well-rounded college life because it felt like I was in the hole, like the kinesiology hole. And I never knew what was happening outside of that. So yeah, just if you decide to major in kinesiology, do it. It's, it's still a really fun degree. Um, but if you're interested in other things and you want to still pursue something in like, you know, medicine or like exercise science, just take prereqs and then just study whatever you want to study. Yeah, that's, that's if you're signing on to, to graduate school or, or med school. Yeah. That's, so don't, don't you think you have like a, or people who regret their degrees in, in that manner? Like there's so much more cool stuff that they could have studied and they didn't. I mean, it's kind of a great problem to have that there was so much cool stuff to study and you had to make a choice. And that choice that you made meant that you're going to leave off other very cool things to study. Mm-hmm. That's kind of fun. I mean, that's, that's kind of beautiful in kind of a tragic kind of way, right? You can only take so many credits per semester, friends. That's right. <laughs> that's right. And the, but it, what's kind of interesting is I, I, I felt like I, I, I think I felt, even when I graduated, I, I, I have the opposite experience, is that I felt by, by focusing in so much on what I was doing, and I was extremely focused on my, my athletics and then even studying exercise science. And I got so into athletics that it actually broadened out the world for me eventually. Like eventually it's kind of like passing through the eye of the needle that I got so focused that eventually my view 
broadened back out. So now I apply everything back to exercise and athletics and coaching and, and systems of development and those sort of things I've focused on uh, before. I, I can relate everything back to that. Um, you know, interesting. With, yeah, and so so I feel by fo- you know my experience was by focusing so much on a particular topic it actually broadened the world out for me. Never quite heard that before. That's an interesting uh, perspective. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, I guess, because usually I would assume if you're focusing so much on one topic, you're tunnel visioning. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I have not considered the possibility of it widening your view. Yeah, so what what happens is, and there, there's a point where I was extremely tunnel visioned. Right. And there's a point where there's almost a crisis point of that, like my life is too centered around one thing. Um, But then you start noticing, um, you start talking, you, you, um, I would start talking to this musician that that I knew who's like semi-famous and he would talk about things. And I could, I found I could have a conversation with him about music based on my athletic experience, or I could talk to, I could start, to, I was noticing I could start talk to other people in other disciplines, not because I knew what they were doing, it's, but that was, I could understand it from the lens of what I was doing. And so I, it was a way for me to connect with a broader world. And so my world actually got bigger after that, you know, after, after focusing so much. But now that you spent it like that, that makes, that makes total sense. Yeah. Yeah. And so... I don't know. I, I wonder if it's just kind of, if there's different people there. I, I know for me, I just wanted to focus so much. I just wanted the time and space to focus on something mm-hmm. um, and just, just dig in really deep. And I wonder if there's other people that, that aren't like that. They kind of want to flutter around and just try everything. Yeah, I, I wonder if it comes down to just personality types. Yeah, I know that. I mean, and I feel like that's what the perfect opportunity college presents, you know, to either dabble in a lot of things or just kind of like, I don't know, tunnel vision your way through a topic. Or like, you know, or it is an option. Sorry, college is an option. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I I mean, I I don't know. I, I mean, is it personality types? Maybe. I mean, I know there are some people who are very, very keen on one topic and they only like to focus on one topic. Like they hyper-focal, they hyper-focus on one topic. Um, but I don't know. I just, I guess like, would you say it's people who are more curious that like dabble in a lot of different things? I, I mean, I have no idea. And I, I'm not, I, for me, I don't, I don't know if I'm a more or less curious person than, than anybody else. Yeah. Um, um, you know, I, I think that, you know, to go really deep into a topic, I imagine there's a mix of aptitude. You have to be good enough to go deep into a topic. And you're going to have to have some resilience because you're going to run into a whole bunch of failures to go deep into a topic. Um, and and you, get, you have to get kind of lucky. You got, you got to find a group that's going to support you going deeper and deeper and deeper. And, you know, I kind of, those three things just kind of happened. And I had a really supportive family to like me going really deep into this hammer throwing athletic thing they were, they were pretty supportive of. And so I imagine if you didn't have some of those things that your tolerance for going really deep into a subject wouldn't be 
as much. And so you kind of say, ah, I don't want to do this anymore. And you probably go off and do something else. Yeah, I, when you were describing the characteristics of those people, I was like, yo, those are just all PhD students, all PhD candidates right now. They have that, those three. Cause like, it takes so much resiliency to just go through a PhD program. Totally. So, shout out and to my- all you PhD candidates. <laughs> Yeah, well, and a lot of it's just luck. If, if I didn't meet the people I met, I mean, who knows? I'd still be, you know, fluttering around. I'm, and to be honest, I'm probably fluttering around right now um, with what I'm trying to do um, with teaching. I mean, I'm doing a podcast while I'm teaching. I'm trying to do coaching and fitness assessments for the track team. And, um, you know, I got about like 47 things going with teaching. So with teaching, I'm kind of fluttering around. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I don't have the patience right now. I, I can't go really deep into one area with teaching. I get bored. Yeah. And so, yeah, I don't know. I, I, and so maybe, maybe it's just different times, times of your life. Maybe we're all in a process of, of either narrowing things down or broadening things out, depending on where we're, just what, what time of life we're, we're at. Yeah, this got, this got philosophical. It really did. Talking about yeah. world perspectives now and how you view the world. Yeah, so it's all <laughs> <so> deep. <laughs> well, should we wrap it up? Yeah, I think I, I think that was a good 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 start to a conversation about degrees. Yeah. Yeah, we we got some nuggets in there. I think. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's good. I'm gonna stop recording here. Um, hey, Eric, what, do, do, you want, do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So my name is Eric Wiest, and I'm an instructor for PCC. And then I'm also a kind of author, virtual instructor for a personal training certification company called National Personal Training Institute. And then besides that, just kind of dabble and coach in a bunch of stuff i'm coaching my kids i have two little kids so right now i'm pretty busy with with that and then i would say kind of my my thing that i'm the most proud of though is i'm i'm more like all of you in the sense that i always just want to learn right and i'm learning and I'm whoa 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 let's not let's not jump the gun on this one (laughs) but uh i think sometimes with students and teachers there's this like were this and that person's that and they've learned all this i learn every day i learn from my students every day i learn from little kids i coach every day and i think that's really what the beauty of this whole thing is so anyways i'm happy to be here i'll be showing you some stuff about fms correctional strategy but i'm sure i'll learn something today too is what i'm trying to say so hey why why don't you tell us so the, the functional movement screenings, can, can you, yeah. can you just kind of like start talking about what, what do you see as the benefit from doing a screening like that for either, either athletes or well, how about in the context of athletes is maybe, maybe we could apply it to um, anybody who, who's interested in fitness. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd personally rather go that way. Anyways, uh, as, as far as athletes go, Um, how I think of it is we're all athletes. You're all athletes. You might not necessarily be in an organized sport, but we're all athletes. We're all race cars. We're all trying to navigate our sport or our race of life. Right. 
you you all have to deal with gravity, 9.8 meters per second squared. You all have to deal with momentum and inertia, directional change, how to coordinate your vessel, your kinetic chain, um, not injure yourself, uh, overcome injury, all that kind of stuff. So I don't care if you're six years old or 90 years old, you're an athlete. Um, now what FMS does is historically the, the field of personal training is changing a lot. And it used to be kind of like Arnold Schwarzenegger, like, can I pump you up, kind of get a good burn, you know? And it was a lot of gym science and what happens and what has happened is strength coaches and trainers that get wrapped up into kind of that hoopla can push too quick. Like I'll train you how I train myself. Right. And what ends up happening is you don't know the backstory. You don't know the dysfunctions or like the postural deviations and movement deviations of an athlete or a client. Like for instance, you might've rolled your ankle. I'm not aware of that. Okay, so I have you do 50 box jumps and I have you do all these directional changes, drills, and your ankle's locked up and your ankle's not functioning how it should. And now you blow your ACL out. So what's changed is training strength coaches. We're, we're not therapists, we're not PTs. However, this whole concept of like prehab versus rehab. What can we do pre-injury? What can we do to not injure and, and create this cascading event where this ankle leads to a knee and the knee leads to the opposite shoulder? And how, how can we be better? And what changed was this kind of umbrella of correctional exercise, functional training. And this started kind of when we were in school, Adam, and this was the first business I owned. I named it core athletics and it was all about functional training and thinking back, it was awful. Um, but whatever, it was my best at that moment. Um, and all of these physical therapists and strength coaches have evolved the industry and FMS not owned by them anymore, but came from a PT called Gray Cook and Gray Cook was heavily infused within the tennis circuit so a lot of these like elite high school kids coming out of florida collegiate athletes that basically who who's getting groomed to become the next wave of american high level tennis players and you know as pts and, and therapists and trainers if you're in the industry long enough you're going to start seeing patterns and you know, there's patterns of these continual injuries or like I'm going to this high school seeing the same things, right? Or I'm getting these ankle locked or weak cores and I'm seeing these whatever, fill in the blank of an injury. But basically, Gray Cook is seeing these patterns. So what he did was there's actually something called the Reebok screen and I could send it to you. I, I like history. So I like the history of things and where they came from. But that Reebok screen is kind of like the 1.0 version of the FMS, what you all did. And FMS is kind of like the 2.0 version of it. Reduced it down, um, you know, put it in a nice little bow tie, sold some kits with it. And they did very well uh, creating that. The, um, the course, the, the test 
is a series of seven functional tests, as you know. Some are designed to test your ability to break. The inline lunge is your ability to break. So think about like breaking maneuvering. You're an athlete, you're a soccer player, you need to change direction. What you need to be able to do is slow down and decelerate, right? And, and that is that inline lunge test. Can you do that? Can you do that efficiently? And then we have uh, a series of other tests. Can you dissociate your hips? So what that means, what you're all doing right now, unless, well, what I can see is both of your legs are flexed at the hip. Would, would you all agree? Unless some of you are in like a lunge position, I just can't see it. But most of you sitting in a chair, both your legs are doing the same, roughly doing the same thing. Both of them are flexed. But when you're walking and running, one is flexing while one is extending. So to hold your pelvis, your oscoxi and the whole girdle and just move through that hip structure, one leg is doing one while the other leg is doing the other. That's called dissociation. And if you all stood up right now, or if you started walking, maybe you feel like a bite in your lower back or you feel like a muscle uh, C's or, or a little bit of a pain. Um, that could be your SI joint or that could be some soft tissue. Uh, sometimes when individuals do things that are unilateral, like one leg doing one way, the other leg doing the other, that's when they feel it. And what happens is the one leg that's flexing, the other leg that needs to extend, it wants to flex as well because that's what you're doing right now. That's what a squat drives into you. The pattern of a squat, a bilateral exercise like that drives in both legs flex and extend at the same time. Same so, thing with the deadlift. So, so if we have students that are sitting all day mm -hmm. in their chairs where they're both, both their hips are flexed and then they go to, uh, we'll just say wrestling practice and the wrestling yeah. coach has them do a whole bunch of squats they're actually reinforcing that same movement pattern that they've been stuck in all day. Yeah. You're, you're actually making it worse because now you're, now you're actually going at a higher, um, a higher force, right? It's a, it's a greater demand on the body and your body wants to succeed. So the things you programmed into it, it gets better at. So now all of a sudden you're just getting more and more better at that pattern. Whereas you know, if you go, if you go into that style thing, like if you're a weightlifter and you need to squat 700 pounds, fine. That's what you have to do. But if you're a soccer player, you shouldn't go from this position to body weight squats to all of a sudden running cone drills. Like you haven't prepared your body to dissociate. So the hurdle step is a gravity infused version of dissociation the leg that's down even though it's not really moving much it's anti-flexing the leg that's coming up and flexing and coming over the tubing is flexing and being in the position we're in both hips if we're in that too much are going to kind of want to run uh bilaterally like they're going to want to run together so the 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 unwinding of what you're in right now is a very important um, 
concept because that's going to better prepare you for the sport where you're not in this bilateral positioning, which is almost every sport I could think of. Right. So, so the FMS testing, when it's doing those two exercises of like the, uh, the leg raise. Yeah. Active single leg, leg raise. raise. Yeah. Active single leg raise and the standing hurdle step is testing that, that independent hip mm -hmm. flexion um, on, on hip each side. Extent. Yeah. And so, so we would get a good sense. And so, so you could have a really fit athlete, right? Got rippling with muscles, can, can jump really high. Uh, can anybody else think of any good attributes? I don't know. Long flowing hair. I don't know. Um, <laughs> But, uh, but because they've been sitting all day, if they, or, or for, sorry, let's say for the last two years <laughs> on their yeah, couch. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and, and so they, they could have the physique of a really great athlete, but they're going to try when they do those two tests, they're going to, they, they may have this movement pattern where they can't disassociate their hips, which would be necessary for any sort of athletic movement. 100%. Yep. Okay. And with that, you're not going to run as fast. You're not going to be able to get into that lunge position, that deceleratory position. You're not going to be able to change direction as well. But, but even taking it out of the context of the athlete, right? And a lot of times that kind of what you um, described is the most dysfunctional because it's the most ingrained patterns. There's a lot of muscle there that might, and there's a lot of like psyche development that might allow that individual to have a higher pain threshold or to get through it. But like at the end of the NFL year, those athletes are broke. They, they need to unwind the NFL year so that they can get ready for the next one. I think of correctional exercise, like a lot of people go to the gym and they want to, it's kind of like jumping in the car and throwing and driving, going for it. But in, in our world and with dysfunctions and what trauma and injuries and all this stuff does to us, it's kind of like we're in a parking lot and there's a curb in front of us. We need to go in reverse, change our course and direction, then put it in drive. So if we can get used to that thought process before the basketball practice, before wrestling, like what are we trying to do to get ready for wrestling? Unwind what you're doing now. Move like disengage one arm from the other, one leg from the other, move in different planes. Cause mostly what we're doing is we're kind of going forward and backwards. And then that prepares our kind of motor centers of our brain for what we're asking it to do. Right. Which is be more prepared. Remember we're trying to prepare the race car for the race. So wrestling is not a drag race. It's not like start, go, as fast as you can, like a four, like a top fuel drag car. It has many curves and bends and, and it's like a Baja dune buggy race. It's probably more like that. So you need to prepare for that race, not this race. That race is like a hundred meter dash, right? They're the top fuel cars, but even that is more complex than I'm giving it credit for. But something like gymnastics or soccer, all these maneuvering and changing directions and 
changing height positions and this and that you you really want these limbs and the kind of the left and right hemisphere of the brains to be able to work um, independently and the more we kind of do what we're doing we create this like nature where we're just like so symmetrical that it's not very conducive for that sport yeah. and and it doesn't matter if you're 80 or six we have to walk and and we don't walk we don't bunny hop down the street in a bilateral way we dissociate well you and, know i i i often bunny hop down the street <laughs> i'm sure your cat your quads are probably like that <laughs> that's great well and and so and just reading up on the functional movement screenings like kind of like what you're saying like that 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 person with the really great muscular physique could be the most at risk for these poor movement patterns yeah. um, i was kind of reading up that like good natural athletes can overcome a lot of these movements they're just because they're good athletes yeah. they kind of can overcome they they can mask a lot of these movement cool. patterns but it means that they are now more susceptible to injury when they do change direction suddenly or yeah. uh, you know stop suddenly that sort of stuff yeah do you do you think so back i at least it was true back when i was in high school it was bigger stronger faster was kind of the um philosophy of of athletic training um and and i don't know if it's perceptual for me or if it's actual statistical but it seems like the number of acls that have been reconstructed in young people has gone up dramatically um since i was in high school i it was really rare for to see someone who had who blew out an acl yeah and i don't think it's necessarily uncommon to see people blow out their ACLs anymore. Do you think the bigger, stronger, faster, faster kind of mentality contributed to that without this like functional movement, going back to basic movement patterns approach contribute to that? I think there's something to that. I, uh, I always make fun of myself, like in the context of what you're saying, like I was pretty athletic as a kid, I could dunk a basketball as a wrestler. I, played football. I, I did baseball, a lot of different stuff. Um, and now I say my athleticism went bye-bye the second I started lifting weights. Now, granted, that's a little unfair because I could have done it in a way that is more functional for my sport, but I was, I fell into the trap. I fell into the gym science trap of how much can you bench and how much can you squat? Right. So you can guess what type of exercises I was doing. It was all bilateral movement. And all of a sudden I couldn't go off one leg. And all of a sudden I couldn't maneuver as well to the point where I just felt more natural in a boat sitting on my butt. Like my athleticism got stripped that much <laughs> to where by the time I hit college, I was like, I'll just sit down. Um, and I'm not knocking rowing. It's a hard sport, but motor control wise, like you're not, it, you're not going to blow your ACL rowing. Let's just say that. It's very protected, but, um, but, but yes, in that sense, like if you, if you look at training kind of the brain and patterns, in my opinion, it's more important to create a solid movement foundation. Brian Cassidy, there's a gym called adapt in, in Beaverton. It's a great gym. And Brian Cassidy was a football player at Stanford and, uh, he was, projected top five draft pick 
he's a lineman, um, great at his trade. He was going to go to the NFL. And he rolled his, he rolled his ankle. And what they did was they splinted up his ankle and they put him in too soon and he wasn't moving right. And what ended up happening was then he had a severe injury, a career ending injury where it tore him through his knee and through his back. That really is kind of the whole FMS. Like, like how can we be better? And, and what I love it for is I love anything that gives you a quantitative number because what it's doing, whether you know it or not, is it's giving you a baseline. So all of you, I'm guessing you've done it on each other and you, you scored it or did, or was there just like one or two folks in the room? I, I, I think for the most part, how, how many of you guys have, have performed the FMS screening or had it done on yourselves? How many people have done it to somebody else? Okay, so one or the other. Yeah. So on that number, the goal's twos, right? If you get twos, that's great. Threes are great. Yeah. You want twos. And if you get twos on everything, your, your finalized score will be a 14. 14 severely decreases your likelihood, studies find, of injuries, and even all the way to morbidity when we start looking at our older populace if if we have older populace that aren't moving well they're probably not getting up and down well and if you look at like blue zones centurions folks that live to 100 one common theme is they move they tend to a garden a lot of them eat from the floor culturally and then get up so they're, they're like getting up and down they're not just in like some locked up chair they're not locked up right there's movement you can do that that's power and that's freedom and you can live your life and you can move around. So FMS can go all the way to like that scale and it can go all the way down to kind of athlete scale. But what I really love about it is that if you ever get injured, you know where you were. And anytime you can get like a compass, any baseline test gives you a compass. So let's say you're a, a varsity soccer player for Forest Grove and you rolled your ankle and you had all twos. Let's just say you had all twos on FMS. And I'm the strength coach at Forest Grove. And I say, you know, let's say the, the gal's name is Lacey or something like that. Okay, Lacey, let's run through the score again. We've gone through the, the healing and we've gone through the inflammatory process. And I just want to make sure you move well before we load you back in, especially before you go live, like you're playing. And let's say I have her do the hurdle step and, I, and when she's on that leg no bueno right can't get up and all kinds of funky weird maneuvers well that's going to show on the soccer field that dysfunction that that dysfunctional sequence that she just adapted is going to show up and and the worst part about it is the soccer field is not as like controlled as a gym floor with a tube Right now, all of a sudden you're maneuvering and cutting. There's inertia and way higher ground reaction force. When, when you stand on one leg, that's your weight. When you walk, it's about two times your weight. Ground reaction force. When you jog, it's about four. When you sprint, it's about six times your weight. Think about that real quick. You can't even simulate that in a gym. There's not one of you in here that can lunge six times your weight. But you're doing it every day if you're out there playing football and soccer and you're changing directions. 
So the least we can do for an athlete is to get it to where they can at least move well, because if you're moving well, then you're at least controlling the skeletal system and making it to where it's not off till. And then you load. Because once you load something that's not really, I call it centrated, right? Once the joint isn't where it should be and there's dysfunction to it, and now you load six times your body weight, you can guess what's going to happen, especially when you add capacity. And this is why in the fourth quarter, there's more injuries. It's worse when we get tired than at the beginning, right? So um, as, as potential, if you go down this or just for self, I mean, I think that's the most important. Anything where you can grab data, keep it, know where you were, know where your baselines were, progress. And then when you get injured, know where you want to get back to. And, and yet you have direction. Anything that gives you a compass and direction is, is gold. And, and FMS gives you that. So, so what, what could, once you have your FMS scores, what are some of the exercises that you could do to help improve those scores? Like what are some of those corrective exercises or, or what's an example of a corrective exercise that you could use um, based on some of those scores? Um, quick answer or? Yeah, long, sure. Long answer. <laughs> well, here's, so here's the thing. When, when we score poorly, we want to eventually get to the why, which is really what it's coming down to. Why don't I move well? Why can't I balance on this leg, but I can this one? Um, why can't I do this exercise? And if you know the why, the how is actually pretty easy. Um, this test gets you to the what. What do you score well in? What do you do well in? But eventually you have to get to the why. And then once you can do that, which is actually the hardest piece, the how isn't too tough. So I'll show you some hows, but before I do that, let me just talk for like a minute on like why. Sure. Because if you miss that piece, you, you, you might not get where you want. So let's say I, um, let me think of something in the context of FMS. Um, let's say I was in a, let's say I was in a car accident and let's say I was T-bone like from the side. So my right side got hit. If, if there is different elements of what's coming at you, so this could be like an emotional barrier, right? Let's just say long story short, you don't have confidence. Like if you don't know why you don't have confidence, if, if the confidence is an emotional reason or emotional trigger, then you have to unwind that piece. So I'm going to show you some stuff physically. I'm going to show you how to do it in a way where it's like safer, which gives people confidence, but you have to understand that. So like I've been knocked out twice. I was telling Adam this, um, I was a quarterback. I got hit right here in the front of my, my frontal plate and just got knocked out cold twice. So like if somebody's right here, I'm pretty weird. Right. If my kids bump me here, I'm like, hey, just give me a second. If they could kick me here as hard as they want. But if they hit me here, I'm like, I'm like my irrational, like self coming out. Right. It's like the demons of what happened to me comes out. It's kind of this, this, 
mild PTSD. So I have emotional work if I want to be able to occupy space here with confidence in a green light. Life's all about getting green lights. And when we're kids, like we don't, we, we have to learn how to establish that motor develop patterns. We go from like, we're standing like this. And then eventually we go from kind of that weary yellow light and all of a sudden we're stable. And it's like a green light. And then we have to have the confidence to take a step. Probably fall 50,000 times until we finally stick it. And then we go from a yellow light to a green. But the cool thing is we're steadfast. As we get older, things come into our life that give us potentially like a red light, but maybe a yellow light, right? A car accident. I got knocked out a couple of times, a rolled ankle, um, a scar, a uh, jam joint, whatever, whatever it may be, right? And even, even something that just compresses. Like right now, I'm delighted. I'm light in my spine. But if you said something like, man, you suck, I'd probably be like... That would have deflated me, right? Yeah. For those of you listening on the podcast, Eric looks deflated now. Yeah, now I'm like, now I'm just sinking down, right? Verse, if you said something like, man, you're like, you're so nice. Like if you do things to uplift individual spirits, like you'll see it in their eyes, you'll see those individuals delight and you'll see it decompress, right? So there's emotional things and there's physical things is what I'm trying to get at. And, And your best homework in all honesty for yourself or for athletes um, clients someday maybe is to try to unwind the pressures right it's not just gravity that compresses us things that deflate you compress you right peer pressure can deflate you being bullied can deflate you being scared or weary can deflate. So all that stuff, like how do we just unwind? Right? Instagram, right? Yeah. Instagram <laughs> can deflate you, right? So like, for instance, like, let's say, let's say, uh, you know, I did something that deflated my kid, right? Um, I, I, I'm, I can, I probably recognize it pretty quick just because I'm very sensitive to that anyway, as being a teacher. But I probably go up to him and I I try to unwind that. I try to unwind the shame. I try to build them up. I try to like I would never say to an athlete ever again. I used to probably coach like this a little bit, but now I would probably always start with a compliment, like, hey, you're doing this really well. And then I say, but hey, can we work on this a little bit? Versus like, man, that sucks. Like you're doing this really wrong. There's a there's an art form of how we coach and teach. Right. And there, and it's, there's an art form of how we parent and there's an art form of how you interact with your friends and your peers. Right. And there's a strategy of that and it's how we talk and what we say. And it's also nonverbal and all of that suit mixture, you're bringing in a million data points, sensory per second, what you smell, what you taste, what you hear, your intuition, if you bring in the sixth sense, all of it is going to change how your posture is and how you move. All of it. If I put, if I say something to you that puts you in deflation, you're going to be compressed through your spine. If you're compressed through your spine, you're not going to rotate through your T-spine well. So if you don't rotate through your T-spine well, you have to start wringing the towel of your lumbar more 
when you move and it's going to lead to low back pain. So, so there's Eric, an example of why this is so important. Yeah. Yeah. I, f I feel like this is the part of the Kung Fu movie where the, the sensei is saying to the, to the learner that you don't have to fight. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. and and that you can solve your problems other way. But me watching the Kung Fu movie, I just want to see someone get in a fight. Um, <laughs> yeah, I get what you're so, saying. <laughs> so I understand there, there are emotional, <laughs> yes, there's, a, there's the limbic system, it, it's real. There's emotional factors yeah. that, that, that need to get taken into consideration, but may not necessarily be in the scope of practice as a personal trainer. Sure. And that's sure. where, like, that's where, what, what do you have, right? Right. At your disposal. So school counselor, um, a mentor, right? Yeah. Um, but it can go, I mean, it can go into, I mean, I can go woo. I mean, it can go yeah. into emotional freedom, body workers. I mean, we can go way over there in the left and right field. But, but ultimately, all I'm trying to say is like, we want, we want my most important thing for my kids knowing this is I want their head right. Yeah. Which, which, which I totally agree. But can we get to the Kung Fu fighting part now? Yeah. Sure how to do the <laughs> okay. So we work on some whys. Now we're ready for some hows. There we go. Perfect. Okay. So. Maybe I'm insane. It's not that hard. Sense to the brain feels like prison to the heart. You know I'm selfish, mm -hmm. selfishly in love. Maybe when I'm bigger, I'll know the difference between lusting. and you can stream my new song, Selfish, on all of your favorite platforms. <laughs> Perfect. Nailed it. There you go. That's what uh, I do. That's, <laughs> that's you do it. it. You, do it. you do it very well. Um, you just like say the same thing for 20 million takes that sounds exactly the same and then pick the one you like. <laughs> yeah, you'd make a great teacher. 